0: What'd you find out about Habakkuk? Remember your assignment. He wasn't happy, no, but I think he handled it really well. You know, I, he, I I can resonate with Habakkuk's story. Oh yeah, that's why you said that. Okay, I really can. About when did you live? Anybody find that out? Late, uh, he's going to be probably late 7th century, okay? Um, uh, or, although he could have been as early as like 630 uh, when, he, when he spoke and, and taught. Um, it, I read this statement this week, I really like this. Habakkuk had the guts to stare doubt in the face. He questioned God, and he got an answer. That's pretty good. He had the guts. He had the fortitude to stare doubt in the face. Now, i got to ask you, I, I put several scenarios on your, on your outline um, opening this morning. Chronic pain, expenses eating, exceeding income, no job or dead-end job, some kind of rejection, illness, Fear of losing a loved one, and I I think of those things that you and I, and you know, we could go around the table, and we've hit all those and more. Where's that light load and and uh, you know, abundant life that Jesus promised? Well, it's there. It's there. We've got to kind of come to terms with some of the disappointments in life. We've been talking about where your hope is when you're having uh when you're struggling through a faith challenge one that uh at least for now you cannot see beyond and i've tried to be transparent enough with you to say i've I've got one that's right here when i wake up it's right there when i go to bed it's right there and when i pray it's right here and it's on the top of my prayer list every day every time i pray okay maybe you've got one of those your faith challenge. Where is my hope in the middle of one of these challenges? Something that I'm having trouble seeing beyond. Well, I think Habakkuk is wonderful for this study. I wish we had longer than one week kind of to look at it. Now, by the way, we're going to be in Job 19 next week. You knew I eventually was going to get to Job in this hope deal, didn't you? Okay. Uh, it's just a place we've got to go. So you might read the 19th chapter of Job. Now, Bob, if you don't mind, we're going to be in a little bit of two and a little bit of three. Would you read the first three verses of two? And then I'll give you a little bit of background. Okay, now, I, w- I want to give you just a little bit of the background of what Habakkuk is dealing with, okay? Habakkuk stood before God uh, in, in the context of um, his own nation's sin. Um, the northern kingdom in 722 had already been judged by God uh, on their idolatry and social injustice and unholy political alliances. But the people of the southern kingdom, where Habakkuk was, didn't really learn from all that. They continued the same sinful pattern. So in the first chapter of Habakkuk, Habakkuk cries out to God about violence and injustice and wide-scale abandonment of God's law. Does that sound like our newspaper? He, He cries out about that, and the answer he got, he didn't like. Okay? The answer he got... Uh, I'm going to deal with in just a minute. What where we are in our passage today is um, he waited a long time for an answer and he got it but he didn't like it. So he pushes back at God and I I think there's a there's a real lesson for us here. And he asks again and pleads for an answer. Basically, he's saying, how could a holy God use a wicked people as an instrument of his correction for God's people? And what we find today is he's waiting for an answer to that question. Okay, Now, let's kind of get into it a little bit. From what Bob read in in verse 1, God has heard Habakkuk's complaint. Basically, his complaint is, why would you use the Babylonians? Now, by the way, when you read here and read Chaldeans... That's Babylonians, okay? Why would you use these wicked people to um, to bring judgment or correction on your own holy people, even though we have not acted holy in, in a holy way? Uh, what I want you to kind of uh, put in your mind here, okay? Let's be honest, I kind of, and I'm going to stretch this a bit, so stick with me here. Literally what he is saying here in, in a regional sense and in a political sense is he would be asking today, Lord, why are you using Iraq to judge us? Now, isn't it interesting, in the middle of the ISIS crisis, that Habakkuk is asking about the Babylonians, which are Iraqis. I I find that just really interesting. There's nothing really new under the sun, is there? And he's pleading, why would you use these guys? And so... God hears Habakkuk's complaint. I love that. We'll apply that in a little bit. And he just kind of waits on God's response. Would somebody go over to chapter 1, just turn back a page, maybe on the same page, uh, and read 12 and 13. It's interesting here that he appeals to God's holy character in asking his question. Lord, this is not even like you, he says. And then he literally waits on the ramparts, bracing himself for God's answer. That's kind of the picture you need to see here. He's like, okay, give it to me. All right? Now... Um, Let me hand out a couple of verses that we're going to look at in just a minute, so we'll so we'll have them at the ready. Would somebody go to Hebrews ten and read verse thirty seven? Hebrews ten thirty seven. Thank you, Jan. And Second Peter three nine. Did get that one? Thank you, John. Okay. Now, um, what is the Lord's reply? He waits for this. Okay, and I'm going to read verse two from uh, the New American Standard. Here's what he says: Then the Lord answered me and said. Record the vision and describe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. Now, okay, the NIV says it a little bit different. That the one who reads it may run. So I need to be careful that I understand what it says. Or What does NIV say in verse 2? Okay, there's an idea there of a herald. This is not... Okay, I'm going to give you my word, and then you're going to run for, have to run from me. I want to be sure that you understand that. This is the idea, and, and I, I want to kind of give you the answer, the, kind of the, the, the idea here, that clearly to me, God doesn't see the prophet as an enemy, as a foe. When you ask him these desperate questions, he's not going to treat you like his enemy. And he doesn't, him here. He says, okay, I've got a message for you, but I want you to get your stuff together. I want you to write it down. Because this is going to need to be couriered. So the idea is a courier or a herald who will send this message to all the people. All right? So write it. Uh, run here is, that's what that's talking about. Okay? Now. Verse 3 is extremely key to our understanding of this whole, this whole section. Here we go. And we're going to apply this later, but I want to read it from the Numeric Standard. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Now, um, one of these issues that I've got right here in front of my face for about the last two and a half years or so, I've been crying out to God, and, and uh, maybe some of you remember uh, kind of a former, uh, Morgan, you'll remember it, former ad campaign of our university. We had billboards all over town that just said, it's time. And I, you know, I'm looking for those. They, they're different now, but back in the day, it just said, it's time, those two words. And it would usually have just Mac, you, or sometimes have a picture of a person getting a degree or whatever. And, and uh, so every time I saw one of those billboards for the last couple of years uh, when, while they were going on, I would literally cry out on this issue in my life and say to God, okay, Lord, it's time. It's time to fix this. What are you waiting on? I, I said those things to God. What are you waiting on? But the truth is, maybe it's not time. In fact, I found out in this issue it's not. Does it sometimes seem like God is not paying attention to your prayers? If so, why don't you fix this and fix it now? But haven't we all had that prayer? Or am I the only heathen among us? <laughs> By the way, I'm in good company role with Habakkuk, buddy. He he was doing the same thing. Lord, why would you do this? Go ahead. You were just gonna say something. No, thing, but I absolutely with that. You're mocking me. You're mocking me. <laughs> well, the idea is, we, we kind of think sometimes, don't we, that God is not paying attention. Have you ever looked back and thought, you know, that was the right timing after all? Okay, let's read these two passages of Scripture. I'm, I'm holding you at bay before I fill in these two blanks. Can you tell that? I'm going to fill them in just a minute. It's pretty good stuff. So I'm going to try to put that in there really well. Hebrews 10, 37. Jan, that's you. He won't delay. I want you to kind of... it. His answer won't delay. Hang on to that for a second. Let's go to 2 Peter. John? The Lord is never slow. He won't delay. Do you hear those narratives in there? If you're like me, you need to hear that today. He's not slow, Joe. I know you felt that over the last 18 months or so. He's not slow. He won't delay. So here's what goes in your blank. God's answer may not always come at the expected time but always at the right time. Anybody living there? I am. It may not be at my expected time, but always at the right time. Habakkuk has learned this while he's kind of bracing himself for God's answer. Bob? You know, he doesn't have a Rolex he's timing all this with. Yeah, doesn't need it. And in fact, how many times have I looked back, and I never can see this till after. How many times have I looked back and seen that his timing was stellar and so much better than mine was? And if I'd have gotten ahead of him, it would have been a disaster. And often is when I get ahead of him. The Lord may not give you his answer at the expected time, but it will always be, I can make this promise, it will always be at the right time. Okay. Bob, can I I ask you to go back and read verse 4 and 5? Let's move on. Now, he's got to take a minute here and distinguish between two kinds of people that kind of do activity in our world. And uh, this is not just true of Habakkuk's day, it's probably more true of our day. The first person he describes is the person of pride. Okay, the person of pride. Uh, so you can put the one who walks on the path of pride goes in that first blank. Now, I began to think about this week, and I did a little bit of reading on it. What's the opposite of pride? And So uh, if you're like me, I have a tendency to say, okay, the opposite of pride, well, that's humility, right? In this context, no. He he kind of distinguishes here or compares the person of pride with the, or the person who lives or walks in pride with the person who walks by faith and not by sight. Now, there's some humility involved in that, but it's a different aspect of, the, of kind of that story. The idea is it's the faithful person, those who live by faith, not by sight. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was dealing this week uh, with an anniversary that uh, is ominous to me and sweet in so many other ways. Um, my dad left uh, this place 11 years ago this last week. It just doesn't seem like possible. And I, uh, uh, the Lord and I dealt with that a lot on that day, and I talked to the kids each about that some that day. But I recognize when I, when I look back on the moment that my dad died, in that single instant, what he had lived by ever since he was 21 years of age, and it gave his heart to Christ until he was 80. What he lived by was by faith. He was a man of faith, if I've ever known one. And in an instant, on September 30th, 2003, that faith became sight. What he believed in became completely real. He could see it. I, I by the way, think, Rhonda and I think, in those final moments, we watched him seeing where he was at It was an amazing experience for me. I'll never forget it. So you and I, living by faith, are asked to live by faith and not by sight. Pride and patience are opposites. Go with me to, um, this may be a little hard to find, but go with me to the left about a half an inch to, to Ecclesiastes verse, chapter 7, verse 8. A lot of what Solomon does is compare two different things or quantities or lifestyles. Ecclesiastes 7, and I'm going to read verse 8. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better, he says, than haughtiness of spirit. That's Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. What Solomon is saying to us is that the opposite of living prideful here is to live in patience. Pride and patience are opposites. Now, okay, I've got to indict myself just a little bit. When I wonder about my own patience level, I have to kind of monitor how I drive, <laughs> lane to lane to lane to lane, you know, back and what's the matter with these people? We're all going the same direction. What are you stopping for? Okay. Amen. Hey, there you go, Roger. Uh, you know. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. Here's the other place. I am probably the only one in the room that does this. But when you go to the grocery store, do you count how many people are in line? before you, I do. I like time, I have it timed. Okay, he, there's two in that line, but they both got a small cart. Okay. and this one's got, this one person, but she's got all this stuff. You do that, or am I the only person that does it? Wayne, you do that? You know what? I, I thought I was the only one for whom that was true. I can calculate it. I can like put her on a calculator and still be the last guy to leave the store. at yeah, and, and by the way, I know how to run them. Uh, and four people working them. Yeah. Okay. Get me started on that one, will you? Target is not my friend. There are a reason you got all those things there, use them. Um, okay. But, but when I start seeing myself that way, I recognize that there's a pride at work in me. That is opposite from the patience that's described in Galatians 5, and 23. That ought to be a fruit of the Spirit in my life. The prophet is going to say that the one on the path of pride is never satisfied. And he, to, to describe that, he uses a person who is um, addicted to wine here. Never satisfied. The more I get, the more I want. That's kind of the idea here. In fact, if you, if you read uh, Proverbs 27, 20 that I referenced here, the prideful is like a death. Uh, to live in that pride is like living a kind of a death. The Greek historian Plutarch, uh, back in the first century or so A.D., notes that Alexander the Great wept when he heard that there was an infinite number of worlds, and to his friends asking him if there's any accident befall him, he returns this answer, No. Do you think it's a matter worthy of lamentation that when there's such a vast multitude of them, we have not yet conquered one? He's impatient. Here's a guy that accomplished so much in his lifetime, and he's weeping because there's so many worlds out there yet to conquer. He's impatient with that thought. And his pride, if you read kind of history, is a bit of his downfall. Now, we're going to go to chapter 3. And Habakkuk is going to use extremely poetic language to verbalize God's answer. Um, I I absolutely love the answer here. Um and and by the way our title comes for today comes from this particular passage it's a beautiful moving passage somebody read verse 17 18 and 19 of habakkuk 3 Lord begins in a most beautiful way. He begins to talk about the the primary economic indicators of of Habakkuk's day. What are they in our day? What do we look at to see if the economy is doing well? Stock market, maybe? And and it's crazy up and down, right? (laughs) Morgan occasionally will step in the office and say, "Uh, you look at the stock market today? Some days I just don't have the guts to look there, Stan. Maybe it's the stock market. Maybe it's uh, the GNP. Okay, whatever you look at, whatever you study. What was the? What were the chief economic indicators of Habakkuk's day? Because the Lord talks about them here: crops and animals. Okay, flocks and crops. What does he say about that as he begins here in verse 17? Doesn't sound like it's going all that well, does it? At least to me. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive tree should fail, the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Okay, now that's a statement of Economic disaster, yeah. Uh, Julie, in your world, it's um, new housing starts or sales of existing homes are whatever in in the realty world. There are no cows in the stall. Uh, There's not enough of a flock to put three sheep together. And when I go to the tree that's supposed to bear olives, there are none there. we got to hang here for just a minute. He describes the ups and downs of life. In our day, rising prices compared with declining purchasing power. Okay. By the way, does the Lord understand what you and I go through? <laughs> always has. Always will. Life, uh, the prophet acknowledges the reality that even under God, life is not always perfect. But his attitude is what? And I, I, I'm going to tell you, it comes in one three-letter word. Yet. Uh, Maybe in another translation, it says nonetheless. But I love the little bitty word, yet. Remember that thing that's right there? (laughs) To you, he's looking for a yet response. And I so want to get this right. I really do. What is your yet? Okay, now, uh, two or three years ago, I had to be in Montana for a week, and um, I was leading worship for a thing kind of out in, the, in this beautiful part of the country, and uh, and uh, Rhonda couldn't go with me to help me. So I asked Heather to take a week off of work and go with me, and she did. So it was a really cool thing. We sang together for a week and, and led this a little group of montana people in worship for a week we had just a ball i mean it was in july and it was hot here and it was wonderful there you know all that and we got done on saturday about noon and um and my, our host who is is Hampton here i keep i'm hoping Hampton got to meet Luke because he was asking me his contact info while he was up there um luke was our host and this guy's a mountain man he's he's he, he has been a logger he has been a um, he has been a um, um, a hunting guide, um, and now he's a pastor. And um, uh, he's a guy that, by the way, walked to Phil Jackson has a place in Kalispell, Montana, and Luke ran into him in. You guys know who Phil Jackson is, okay? And ran into Luke ran into him in a Starbucks and just said. Hey, Mr. Jackson, can I talk to you for a minute? Shared Christ with him for about 30 minutes. I'm thinking, this guy's not afraid of anything. He tells me the story of how his, on this trip that we took, he tells me the story of how um, a, a grizzly bear ate his mule when he was on a hunting trip. Okay? Alright, and now he's a preacher. Can you imagine going to his church? I'll have to tell you about it if you're ever out in Kalispell. But uh, but we're, we're on this, Luke says, let's finish this deal and I'll take you through Glacier National Park. So we Beautiful in July, and we went there. And one of the stops we made, there were we can't. You know, when you're in a national park, sometimes you'll there'll be like cars for a mile stopped. It's like what's going on. So we did that thing, stopped, went to a bridge area, and there were probably a hundred little white mountain goats. They can navigate the most amazing terrain. It was a kind of incredible to watch. A mom with a baby, and she would jump a long way, land on something about this size, and the, the kid would follow, sure-footed in a very treacherous place. Do you know that's described here? Look, look back at the scripture. Look back at the scripture. Um, "I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Remember, it starts with a yet. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I'll rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet, like a mountain goat's feet. That's what he's saying. He makes me walk on high places. Okay, I got two things I want to say to you before we quit. God is going to make you have sure feet in a really unsure place, if you'll allow him to. Even despite that thing that you can't see beyond right now. Here's some lessons that I think we're going to catch from Habakkuk's orientation here. Rather than brood over his misfortune, Habakkuk chose to verbalize his concerns not to his peers, but to the only one who was powerful enough to do something about it. I'm going to say to you, if you're in that place, tell the Lord about it. Tell him often about it. If I read the New Testament correctly, he is not worn out by our complaint. He's glad you're still talking to him. One of the things I learned from from studying the life of Habakkuk is he continues to talk to God even when he's disappointed in the way life is going. So my question is, are you talking to him in that place? Second, and this goes along with it, God was never threatened by the prophet's complaint. You know, we don't see any moment where the Lord starts wringing His hands over Habakkuk's complaint saying, oh, that's not really fair. Why are you saying that about me? What do you mean challenging my holiness? No. The Lord's not put on off guard about your complaint. He's not threatened. It doesn't bump him one inch off of His mighty throne. I do think there are lots of times when he listens to me and he puts his, he doesn't have hands or a chin, but he puts his hand on his chin and says, well, I'm just glad you're talking to me. Can I ask you to remember something in the middle of this thing? Remember the kindness of God. And again, let me ask the question. Are you talking to him? Are you talking to him? I don't know if you're like me. I need to tattoo this verse somewhere. I'm not gonna do that, by the way. Not gonna, uh, that, don't get that started. <clears throat> I have former students who have like one student's got a, a verse that starts here, goes around his neck, and comes out here. I don't you know, I love scripture, but come on, Brandon. Yeah. Uh, Habakkuk 2 3, I've been hanging on to this week. Maybe I need to write it on a card and put it on my dressing mirror or uh, make it the, the uh, screensaver on my phone. I don't know. But here's what it says I'd left it for you at the bottom of the page. If it is your answer, okay, here we go, though it linger, wait for it. <laughs> it certainly will come, and it won't delay. It won't be late, even though it probably seems like it right now. Wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. It certainly will come, and it will not delay. Next week, let's see what Job does with this idea in Job 19. Okay. Bless you. See you soon. Have a great week.